0: Monday Night Raw! A new Raw! Yes it is! How was it? <laughs> a little bit meandering. New matches that are new, but was the show any good? That's why I'm here. My name is Matt Mayer, aka Imp, and we are live here on YouTube and will also be available in podcast form later. Links in the description or head over to WrestlingHeadlines.net. Like more like Raw, The first of the new season, the season premieres, they kept hammering home. This season premiere is a big deal, it's a big thing. Apparently, according to commentary, I, I guess it lines up with last year, so there's that. I guess. <laughs> I guess it's that. Uh, but yeah, it's a... Uh, it's an odd show, I think it's fair to say. Like, yes, we've got new matches. That's all new. Fantastic. That's well, why I put it in the intro. I'm really happy to no longer see Andrade and Gaza of the Street Profits. <laughs> no more. Like, I can breathe, finally. But I'd rate this Raw as a... as like one-third good. Like, the first hour was bloody difficult. And I'll get to, like, my personal difficulty with it in a second. The second hour won me back, loved the second hour, genuinely brought me right back in. The third completely lost me again. So, and I'm just thinking, how do you manage that? <laughs> like when, when they've had a positive roar before where it maybe it'd been an iffy bit, normally it's the first hour, like they'll nail that first hour and then just fall off the cliff. I don't think I've ever had it where roar has lost me immediately. Then I only watched on because I was covering it. I came very close to going, oh, I'm just so fatigued and I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> just, maybe that's an impact whatever. But no, I enjoyed the second hour loads. And then, uh, as Ali hit me up on uh, Twitter, new uh, a uh, newest, uh, newest columnist here at Avatar headlines.net highly recommend checking out his stuff. But yeah, he polite, politely informed me, it wasn't just me. <laughs> and uh, I, I would probably enjoy the second hour and he was 100% correct. Uh, it did pick back up and then fall off a cliff again. Uh, so that was I, I was kind of losing my attention. I was just like, I'm so fatigued with everything that's happened. Like, rest, just purely just wrestling wise, it's good to know that it wasn't just me. <laughs> because the important thing is we are slap bang in the middle of the NJPW G1 Blues. It is a thing, especially for us where New Japan's our number one, which it is for me. Where after, during the G1 climax, it is a mountain to climb, and quite often you need a force of will. And just mental power to get through it because you're just kind of so tired of seeing so much wrestling. You just need a break, but you power through, and by the end of it, you're so happy that you did. You've seen so much fantastic wrestling in just one month span, and you just you feel so positive about wrestling. And you're looking at all the things building, going forward, looking towards January fourth and all of that. Then I go to Monday Night Raw. And the reason I call it the G1 Blues is because it's normally quite a whiplash going from New Japan, like their big calendar moments, because I don't get this feeling with, like, wrestling Don Taku. (laughs) Or not even the New Japan Cup most times. I don't normally get the whiplash where I'm watching New Japan and then I come back to WWE, and I have to be aware when I'm trying to judge WWE that I'm not always looking at it fairly because of what I'm comparing it against. I feel like as time's gone by... I'm getting slightly better at judging WWE by their own bar. Uh, AEW's really helped with that. Like seeing an American product work at a completely different level. And so I can judge them differently compared to WWE where I kind of measured them against what I thought would be good. And that was New Japan. So I was constantly measuring WWE against New Japan's storyline telling uh, levels. When really I should have been kind of measuring up their own standard. <laughs> and that's what, that's what AEW's taught me. Because AEW measure at a different standard as well, specifically in terms of their storytelling. Uh, Because I'm one of those people who enjoys watching lots of wrestling. I don't have a bias towards any company. (laughs) I just happen to prefer the storytelling style of New Japan slash AEW, which is more longer term. It's not slapping your face. Like If you watched one episode and didn't check into anything else, didn't really pay attention to what the commentators were saying, you just watched the action in front of you, you might not always pick up on it. You, it's The more you watch, the more you get out of it. And uh, But being the elite is that extra thing. Uh, so Sam uh, for, for Sam Brown, fellow economist, the person I've been uh, collaborating with with the G1 Climax columns, the final one went up today. Uh, if you want to go check that out. I, so he said that, that AW being the elite is like uh, the Lord of the Rings extended edition. Like If you don't watch it, you get the entire story, but you get that something extra when you do. And really it's for the fans, the people who are really into it, and they get so much extra fun watching that stuff. I guess for New Japan will be watching the post-show interviews as well, getting that storytelling there. But WWE different, and I've learned to stop comparing them to it. That said, the reason I went on that New Japan tangent is because I, would, I know I've learned after a massive tournament, after a massive stint covering them, I will enter the G1 Blues, where... At first, I'm knackered, which I am. Like now, I am so exhausted. <laughs> My sleep pattern, especially this is the first time I've covered New Japan Pro Wrestling whilst also covering WWE for this site, and in doing that, I'm absolutely exhausted. My sleep pattern is all over the place. Like, look at me. <laughs> I look awful. Um, I yeah, unkempt. I think would be the best way to put it. And like this jump is more like it's it's owning me, isn't it? <laughs> As in, I I am not. I'm not wearing this hoodie with style. (laughs) I'm just so exhausted. It's, yeah, like, yeah, I'm so tired. (laughs) I'm not that my best senses. And that's why watching that first hour of Raw, I was worried that that was going to be my experience and I would judge it unfairly. And so when I do go through it, so yeah, and what didn't help is the phrase I've used in the title of this video is me- meandering. If I can <laughs> bloody say the word, like this war, this war was up and down, like to say the least. First hour especially, so many questions, especially in terms of that thing of just talking about in long-term booking. And Tom Phillips at times just like, ah, why not? Why not do this? <laughs> and I was like, because you've just done something setting it up. <laughs> like, why would you immediately have to then a commentary go, well, why not? That's exciting, isn't it? Because you literally just set up universe rules and you're immediately breaking them. <laughs> like, why would I care about your world? Why would I care about the rules of your world if you immediately break them? Like, And say, ah, who, this is fun, who ma- Who cares? It doesn't really matter, does it? So, oh, why did you tell me it matters then? <laughs> like you spent the whole of last week telling me people on different brands mattered. Then immediately you get people from the SmackDown appearing on the Raw because, oh, isn't that fun? Why do the draft then? <laughs> if It doesn't matter. Uh, Anyway, um, yeah, that's a little tangent. The first hour, you could tell what match was talking about there. <laughs> it's just, yeah, the women's tag team match. I enjoyed it for what it was in the second hour. But there was that thing of, why is the SmackDown team there? Or SmackDown just did a draft, told me the draft was important, that they would no longer be appearing on a certain show. It shakes everything up. But they're here anyway. <laughs> so why did it matter? Um, but yeah, so the first hour did quite a bit. It felt like a bit, quite a bit of damage. The second hour injected one thing that I think I realised suddenly that Mud Night Raw has been missing. And it was fun. Like I enjoyed it second hour was full of fun. And I suddenly realised oh, I might be able to get into this. And I know that in terms of like the I guess, lively comedy kind of styles that uh, exist in wrestling, a lot of people don't like that. Uh, there are a lot I wouldn't say want it super serious, but like I'm a fan of Torayano. Who is an outright comedic comedian? As in, for case of an example, like a dream match was Toriano versus Colt Cabana, and I'm assuming with AEW becoming bigger, people know who Colt Cabana is now, and to just just to put him on a level of like, understanding if you don't know who he is, and yeah, like I I'm perfectly fine with fun. Like I love I'm I really enjoy uh, comedy wrestling. My world outside of uh, guest wrestling thing. Uh, I've done a lot of stuff with stand-up comedy and things, so comedy is a world that I enjoy. I am happy to donate time to that world. But I don't care about 24-7. S- slapstick isn't my thing. And the 24-7 title, nah, it doesn't do anything for me, even though I like, <laughs> Give me comedy. Like, I love variety in my television shows, or everything. It's just that it depends on the style, obviously, because comedy is extremely subjective. Um... But, fun is what is injected into the second half. Like, oh, they love to have fun. <laughs> it's just the New Day coming out, just putting in a bunch of energy. The, I guess the Miz Morrison versus Tucker and Mystery Guy were in the third hour where I was kind of drifting off a little bit. Uh, but yeah, so he had that, you had the women's tag, you just got energy and fun put in there. And I feel like Raw has been missing. It's had energy because you've had the Street Profits. Well, again, I, think, I think this is before I started doing the YouTube thing, but. I have said before that just watching Montez Ford makes me tired. <laughs> how does he have so much energy? <laughs> oh, is he. I realised I, I, I realized that in NXT. is like, he, he doesn't run out. <laughs> he just he comes out, jumping and bouncing, getting everybody in, which is like he's per- perfect to getting the crowd into their characters and in the match. And then by the end, he's at the same level. Like, how? <laughs> Superhuman man. Um, but yeah, when I, I realized Raw's just been missing fun, and the New Day was just like, yes. Thank you. For, yes, you in the middle of a massive roar. I think that's the difference as well. RAW is three hours, and you need solid variety. And especially the past few weeks, they've had some solid stuff going on, but the variety's been the issue. Especially, technically, things are different tones, but it's the same stuff over and over again. But the New Day coming in, oh, it's nice and fresh. It's fantastic. But it meandered a bit, and I think the first... Segment is the best way to cover it. I was wondering if I should jump to the end, bring up something or whatever, but really to get a best picture of how meandering this role was, it's just to go through it and hopefully I don't have a mental break. <laughs> so I've watched other people covering the show tonight and I know the rest of the talk guys, Ollie Davies had a bit of a break at <laughs> one point. Uh, what would be my breaking point? Find out. It'd probably be the first thing <laughs> knowing me. So... The Monday Night Raw kicked off with Alexa Bliss in the ring, and she introduced Wyatt's demon, the fiend. The fiend arrives formally, I guess, on Monday Night Raw, and they pose holding hands in the ring for an awesome photo shoot. But to make the photo even better for WWE.com, Retribution interrupts. Now they've got a theme, so immediately I hear theme. I'm like, well, they're attacking the fiend, and I'm not really sure what to think about this because. You don't want either really getting destroyed here and you'd assume The Fiend would destroy most of them because they still feel a bit like nameless lackeys. Again, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle villains. <laughs> Not main villains, just people that Shredder would throw at them to get destroyed. But they get onto the ring, they've got their new music playing, Adam Stafford Ali is working as leader. This is the first time we're seeing Ali as leader. And it's like, yeah, it doesn't go better for had I had hopes... But then he just kind of fell down. So this is our first time seeing them with Mustafa Ali. But before he can dim the lights, he puts his hand up to do the thing again. The fiend does it, and the lights just go down, and they try and attack him. But it's all dark; they can't see where he is. Lights come back up, and the fiend has disappeared, uh, which is very quickly the hurt business march on down and explode into chaos uh, with a uh, set up our Teddy Long impromptu tag match. And I want to say, after living in the New Japan bubble <laughs> for the past month. Kicking off with an 8-man tag was a nice ease back in with the familiar. I don't know if a lot of people might have zoned out a little bit. Or was like, ah, 8-man tag, yeah. I was like, ah, 8-man tag, this is my jam. <laughs> this is this is how all shows start. <laughs> just 8-man tag, yeah, yeah. Nice and ease me into the show. And in terms of the Hurt Business versus Retribution, you've got the interest of seeing Retribution work with Mustafa Ali. They've only had one match before this, and it ended in a DQ. As it was just getting over, I guess, the initial characters of... Oh, it was the week of T-Bar Mason Slapjack. What a week that was. <laughs> as a wrestling fan, I really enjoyed that week. After this, we constantly mocked it. But also as a wrestling fan, I had to watch the show and cover it for a website. Ah, pain. <laughs> pain. Um, but yeah, so at least the Hurt Business are a strong stable. Just everything about them is ticking all the boxes. I can see them going down as a really well-regarded stable when you talk about this era in the future. And I just hope they grow, I hope they kind of climb the card a little bit. Because, yeah, they're a mid-card act at the moment, but oh, they could very easily climb. They are such a solid stable. I'm just a bit worried WWE sees them as mid-card. But, Retribution are definitely in a better state with Ali. Who, in the match, showed some great adjusted aggression. I really enjoyed that, uh, just him enacting as leader. And also, like, in his moveset, just being way more aggressive. And yes, he's still got the odd flippy stuff. He got to see his... Because, of course, the 205 Live chemistry he would have built with Cedric Alexander. They've got that, and they obviously see that in the match itself. And... But that kind of built to a certainly odd ad break lead. So sign number one that I... Just pay... Just, yeah, worry. (laughs) Like, after a tad of a tiff between the lads at ringside, The Fiend appeared on the Titantron with his creepy (laughs) music playing, and on the Titantron he just sticks his tongue out. And we go to break as Tom Phillips is like, oh my God, it's The Fiend. And like, really the main reason it was odd to me was because they played it as us knowing he's theirs in the audience. That's how they played it off. We know as the audience, whilst the eight lads in the ring have no idea because they're in their own little world. And immediately I'm like, but you played the music in the arena, so they must be completely deaf <laughs> so, and then of course four of them were facing the direction the titantron was on because they were they not ringside but they're staying at each other but they would have heard the music and then the fiend's face appears on the titantron would have seen that <laughs> so it's like what is this segment <laughs> what was that ad break leading um yeah as in it's not a, the worst device in the world to show something which the audience sees and we know the fiend's lurking and watching uh, but they don't but then you don't play the music in the arena, you don't put him on the titantron with such a blatant... <laughs> There's a way to do that without it being so... When I say immersion-breaking, what I just mean is... they are The characters that we were watching were meant to have not seen it. So it's just a bit weird when you, they must have. Because <laughs> uh, the, the things they must have not been able to do in order to have missed it... It's weird. Uh, the match after the break seemed to be building. But as the pace kicked up, Lashley ran rough shot and just caught T-Bar in the hurt lock. And T-Bar tapped out. Like, and, and just immediately, like, oh, what a crap debut match. <laughs> like, for, like, for the finally formed stable. And it's not Slapjack who taps out. It's T-Bar. It's the big one. The big, muscly one. The, the man who could go against Bobby Lashley in it if you got Mustafa Ali with MVP. And then you got Big Lad vs Big Lad. No. Bobby Lashley just destroys the former Diag, just T-Bar just gets destroyed by him. <laughs> so, and that's without any outside interference of anything, and just no, he just beat them. It's like, well, wait, what is, <laughs> what is this? Um, and it's not the type of thing that I feel like would have hindered anything at all, because afterwards the Fiend came out, and it's just. Like, with their first... Uh, it's the first match with their new leader, and they immediately lose? <laughs> like, what are you trying to... Start? Like, they are... So, after this, they are solidly mid-card. And there's the thing of, were they buried? Not on purpose. It's not something they can't overcome, but it will be... It won't be fixed next week, for example. It might take a week or two, or maybe the Builder to Survivor saves to invite the ship. Because... Like, in terms of hierarchy on the card... They're were, they were a they were stable that needs to be established and to slowly climb using uh, like successful deeds, I guess. But they got completely destroyed by the Hurt Business. And then the Fiend comes out and destroys them all. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's such a weird one. Uh, one little detail as well. Mia Yim, uh, she's out with them at the start as, she, as they surround the Fiend, then just disappears. We come back from ad break, we've got our eight-man tag and Mia Yim's just Not there. (laughs) just gone. Doesn't exist because her business don't have anyone for her to face. Then when the feed comes out, there's no Mia Yim, Alexa kind of thing. There's a female for Mia Yim to at least have a reason to be present for. Nah, just nah. And then she's there for the backstage bit as well. Mustafa Ali's given his promo, which was a great thing in the second hour. And I won't say, oh, did it save Retribution on this show? I feel they're two separate segments. This segment destroyed them. This, the Ali segment, kind of gave them character and built them up. They don't exist, they don't exist as like, one thing, that these things both happened. So they got massively knocked down and then built up a bit by a really strong character promo by Mustafa Ali. So, and I guess motivations as well. So I'll get to that later. But to start off this show, there's immediately questions. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, after the loss it continued where the lights went down, The Fiend's big face appeared on all the screens and whoa, oh, he's on the apron! <laughs> I was like, wait, wait a minute, you're not, T-Bar. <laughs> he attacks Mustafa Ali and single-handedly whooped the three standing members of Retribution before zoning in on Ali, who was saved last minute by T-Bar. The Fiend redirected his attention to the big lad, uh, finally staring down the hurt business before the creepy music played again. Uh, with Bliss on the Tron mouthing with Bray's voice, Let me in. but, you know, with somebody who's actually got a throat. Let's just drink a tea after that. <laughs> Wasn't even very good, I just felt my throat tighten up. <laughs> I was like, I can't do the deep voice, it's not happening. Anyway, it would be one thing if Retribution had been built strong going into this, but they've now only had two matches, with one ending in a DQ, and now they've lost the other before they then all got battered by one lad. <laughs> like, like, the question is, is this down to meandering with no plan beforehand, or meandering with no plan now? Which is it? <laughs> and out in the show, we got a great promo from Mustafa Ali, which just made this feel even weirder. Like, why, why do they have to lose? Yes, it's good to see the Hurt Business continue to be booked strong. I have no problem with that. What I have, the problem is is they were against Retribution where in terms of where the stables are at, Retribution needed a win to cement them as now with Mustafa Ali, we are here. But they just lost. <laughs> so just immediately, just that just easily, end of, then The Fiend came out and attacked them. It didn't steal a win, it didn't do anything. It's just it's a really weird one. Mustafa Ali's promo later is flipping brilliant though. <laughs> so it's, it's just, it's a weird one. And I censored myself last second there (laughs) about to swear my enthusiasm for how much I enjoyed Mustafa Ali's promo later. It's just, you know, this opener was so strange and just destroyed all the momentum they had. So Mustafa Ali's promo feels like fixing and building back up after whatever that was. Uh, I don't know what the building do. Is it Fiend Ali? Don't know. What's the Fiend got to do? Uh, I'm not going to complain about what are they doing with the Fiend right now because he's a character you can take time to do stuff with um retribution again from week to week has just felt like they're making it up and they don't know what they are going to be doing the next week when they do something in the last hence why there is no foreshadowing as is this case in point if they knew what they were where they're going with something you would get some kind of foreshadowing but because there's been none it's more kind of fixing things in post and that is not like uh, kind of fixing a loophole in hindsight or closing something off like the ha- like the hacker That wasn't foreshadowed in any way or form. It was just, this is a loose end we're tying up. So, yeah. I'm not going to give any applause to that. (laughs) It was... yes. I would just... That that is my G1 blues. I'm coming back from New Japan and, I guess, watching AW as well, where there's clear direction. There's a plan and you get foreshadowing for that next thing. You get storyline slowly building, which very naturally leads to that next beat. Because they've got a story, they're telling a story. They know where the next thing is, and WWE don't know that. They're making it up week to week, and you can really sense it. It means, like, they might have a core thing to build to, but week to week, there's absolutely nothing. There's there's no beats for it to work that way. It's I think it's it's been a thing for a while. Where WWE don't know how to tell stories, and ugh, I don't know if it's a mixture of like. They are able to do it. It's just messed around and rewritten like, right before the show to the point where it's not possible. Sometimes things sink through. And is that... Like, Mike and Bailey. Max and Bailey had a fantastic feud that bubbled under the surface for ages until it eventually blew. Then they are immediately going at each other. It's just like, oh, just pace it out a bit. <laughs> it's just, the build was nice and gradually worked really well. Why have you immediately stopped building any anticipation and they're just immediately fighting each other? Anyway, let's move to the next thing, which was a mixture of, like, yeah, yes, I, I kind of like this little pair in here, and then a bit of, oh, right, okay, I'm a bit more, a bit of a continuing this weird start. So we've got AJ Styles versus Matt Riddle, and immediate reaction of, I get to cover AJ Styles again. Like, yes, it's like, oh, yes, AJ Styles, I've missed covering that man. So it's great to have him back on Monday Night Raw so I can actually watch him and talk about him. Uh, and now Raw Underground's dead as well. Like, yes! <laughs> uh, AJ Styles, he gets the big security lad. Uh, Jordan, uh, oh my word. I've, I even practiced it earlier, but now because I'm, I'm, I'm so fatigued and tired, I've not even got a chance. <laughs> uh, I'll refer to him as Jordan later. But Omegbehin, uh, there we go, nailed it. So uh comes out with... Uh, thing. i knew i could, knew i could do it I just needed to slow down that. <laughs> so rememberhin uh comes out with aj Styles and yeah i like that pairing like i will say in terms of underground being gone like i honestly found underground to be a showpaster destroying shit thrown at a wall in a ratings of failing desperation complete waste of time <laughs> so could not be happier i don't have to cover that crap anymore <laughs> N- didn't wasn't my jam at all didn't enjoy it i've seen people like it Ray Cash, we've had a guest on this from uh, the Chair Shop Radio. Yeah, he was all down with it. And I've seen, he was it from the UK media world? Simon Miller, he's also tweeted about enjoying it, but not my cup of tea at all. And I feel like the sentence I just said earlier sums up my entire feelings about it. Didn't care for it for day one. And as the weeks develops, I realised it's just not my thing. And then, And then I realized it, why was the show feeling so long? was oh, because they keep cutting away, so the momentum of the show in the arena is constantly being interjected with stuff. therefore, the shows start to feel really long because lots of things are happening. Suddenly, you've got 15 segments because you keep cutting into oh <laughs> underground. That's why the shows start to feel a bit long. And the and raw has, has like the first week the underground wasn't there. Immediately, it's like, my God, the show flows so much better. And they've not brought it back since. (laughs) So happy to know that's permanent. And AJ's got a mic and he says, The real redemption of Raw is the return of the prodigal son, AJ Styles. And it's like, yeah, yeah. He's going to shepherd Raw into the future. Into a new era that belongs to the face that runs the place. And Omar Bahin doesn't leave the ring when Matt Riddle comes in. So this was the part that I thought I was getting a little bit worried. The it's, it's it's weird pacing that comes in. Where the referee tries to tell AJ to get, I him to get to leave, and AJ just laughs at him like, "No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that." <laughs> so, a so the referee tells AJ that he will count to five and DQ him if the guy doesn't leave the ring. It's like that's like, don't make me do it. And during the count, the rather large gentleman <laughs> catches the referee's hand to stop the count, who just pleads at him, just please, I'm just, I'm just doing my job, just, just leave the ring, please, and. Uh, after some pleading he abides and uh, like, I get what they're trying to portray but it went on a little too long was executed a tad awkwardly and the commentator is playing it as oh super serious like oh no Vo- that, that that I hate it when they do that because <laughs> it's uh, it's the least natural reaction to do that voice uh, to do that reaction to it it's like oh no what's gonna happen it's gonna happen like no that, that it's, it's playing it too serious, that that it's, uh, it, yeah, it's a per, it's personal <laughs> a little gripe, I don't like it when the commentators go that serious, at something, but, yeah, that happened. Uh, anyway, throughout the match, we constantly got camera cuts reminding us how tall Jordan is, <laughs> so, did you know that Jordan, uh, I'm over quite tall, we're going to get lots of shots of him, <laughs> it's like, like, This is like a for people who don't watch WWE. This is the kind of thing that they would expect to be seeing all the time. Like, yeah, we're getting AJ Styles versus Matt Riddle in the ring, two fantastic talents, but every third camera cut was to a tall man on the outside. (laughs) It's just like he was the real focus of this match, not either of those competitors. Like watching this, I began to worry. Like, what a uniquely weird start to the show. (laughs) <laughs> is it the G1 Blues making WWE style stand out a tad more, or was it just weird? And I want to say, like my fatigue point hit during this match, and and I am like energy wise, I'm really low. <laughs> it is got cool. that's the other part of me covering the G1 climax. Um, in terms of the carnival, whatever it is, I've been doing late night shows for WWE covering all that stuff. Then I've got Japan, <laughs> so and that's been kind of like a constant like. When normally take like I'll have a little morning to recover and then I'm back into it. But in covering New Japan, I'm up in I'm up early as well doing that. So like luckily my real life place, <laughs> weird place to name a work. But I yeah I'm able to recover in the morning and then do stuff. Uh, but not with New Japan, no. So that has caused a few <laughs> knackered issues. Uh, this week finally able to get into it after uh, tomorrow's the first day. Like this is my final day of the run, and I know the final was on Sunday. I've been busy, finished the column, did the massive Photoshop yesterday, raw today. Tomorrow I finally get a no wrestling thing. <laughs> First day with no wrestling in over a month. Oh, I'm I'm really happy. <laughs> the people aren't lying when they say that covering uh, wrestling for a website or getting into it a bit more is a mental schedule. Like you're really gonna, <laughs> really gotta enjoy doing it. Um... Luckily, I do. I just, you know, I've only got a certain amount of energy and I need a day off. <laughs> I need to recover. Anyway, so the fatigue point hit me. I just wanted to note that it was probably induced by other factors as well. So I had a much lower temperament. Uh, luckily, I took five. And when I came back, the match was at least focused on Vidal Styles a tad more. Uh, Jordan was working the distraction by simply standing there and but just, he just stood there for Vidal to gore cap, And Riddle's like, oh no, ooh, ooh, ooh. And he just kind of, he clenched his fist a bit. And that was pretty much it. I think he just gestured it kindly for him to get back in the ring. And Riddle abided. And after said gawking, got caught with a kick and then slammed down with the Styles Clash. Again, they book Riddle versus Styles, but give us, look at this big man. (laughs) That was the match. The match wasn't Riddle versus Styles. The match was, look at big man. It was like, yeah. And that is emblematic of what people who don't watch WWE think WWE is. It's just, they, yes, they might put two amazing wrestlers in there, but they're not the focus at all. <laughs> it's like, okay, right. Uh, if, it build, if it's going to build somewhere, possibly, and I wouldn't mind if AJ Styles is the next challenger for Drew McIntyre, then you've got this and you've got him as this massive factor. But again, this was another thing where it's just a bit awkward, a bit over the top. Matt Riddle's expression is just a bit too much. And mm. again, I'm a behind doing just a little bit too little <laughs> for me to really buy it. Um, and it was again, it's the produ- way WWE is produced, where you get uh, Matt Riddle, AJ Styles to do a hold. You, got cut, you cut to another camera because they're doing this awesome, cool hold. Then third cut, big man. Back to them. Different angle. Big man. It's just so... Were pesi- so consistently cutting back to him that it's just like it, you feel like he's the focus of the match and if that was the case then that's what they were going for but it feels like oh, this is emblematic why <laughs> it's just, yeah don't mind the pairing though but it, and this is the first time as well Yeah, expect like, kinks needing to be worked out uh, so I'm not gonna run on it it was just after the retribution thing it felt like this is such a weird first hour and didn't get better Van de Orton Starts a storytime VTR promo for head in a cell and it leads into a fully edited thing uh, The production of the WWE is always amazing with these uh, video packages Because it started with slow Randy Orton story going through everything and later in the show we got slow Randy Orton story. So again in terms of show pacing. Yeah <laughs> uh, Caruso then was in the interview ring and it introduces WWE Champion Drew McIntyre uh, the Scot politely asks for the mic and takes to take and takes it to go to Orton directly through the camera. Repeats a lot of the critiques on Randy's character that he has so far in the feud. Like again, strong stuff, but we're going in circles now. Like a great feud that went on one pay-per-view too long, assuming it ends <laughs> in a cell. uh I, It will likely be remembered fondly, the Orton vs McIntyre feud. But WWE really need to reconfigure their structure so they can just let stories end. Uh, yeah, they're not built for stories to naturally progress and finish and build to the next thing or move on. It's all very artificial. And that has pros and cons. Because again, a story like this, it, it, it hits its story natural conclusion at Clash of Champions. But in terms of the way WWE moves on, well, you've got Head in the Cell next, you can't finish until heading the sales. So it doesn't matter if you finish your story. And that is the downside of, again, booking it week to week. You can't pace it out so you don't hit that beat at Clash of Champions. Because, again, you're doing cool moments. You're not thinking about how it all adds together in the, like, af- afterwards type of thing, like, for the future. Because you're making it up week to week. Yeah. It's a con to it. I realise it sounds very moany <laughs> at the moment. It's just a con to a style. And I personally find that style... Extremely shallow. Like it, it can both it can be flashy. You can you can create awesome moments with that, and WWE are amazing at creating these awesome moments, especially with their high production to really sell it. But it does mean that when you try and chew on what's there, there isn't much meat to it, and yeah, and it's not all connected very well. <laughs> End of metaphor. More uh, women's championship: Asuka versus Lana. Lana. I've never had a name like that before. Asuka, being so damn quick, really kept this match rolling impressively smoothly. Uh, Lana, to her credit, kept up with the speed. Uh, there's, like, there's still this that issue of uh, her own offence lacking that oomph a bit. But they played into that with the, in the match, with Asuka easily shaking her off and ultimately pushing her away into the Asuka lock for a quick tap. Only went on for like two minutes or so. And it's weird. It's a downside of the current state of the division that they do a match this quickly and move it on to a bigger angle. Uh, but they had a whole big thing with Lana as like, you are not even going to tease her possibly winning. Just for like a quick thing. They can show. They had a moment where she was showing off her offence. But Asuka very quickly just easily got back in. So a very quick match. I don't know. For what it, For the two minutes it was, it was smartly booked for what they had. <laughs> but it didn't have anything to really work with. So Asuka comes across as dominant. Lana comes across as not a serious competitor to be taken seriously. And that's a bit redundant, that sentence. But it's not Asuka's music plays, it's Nia's. And the women's tag team champions arrive to lay a beat down. Nia puts Lana through the announce table once again as the poor lass just resides to the punishment. Asuka fights back, however, and poses on the ramp as Nia and Shayna wait with all their anger till the post-break match, post, post-match break, post-match Post ad break bit. Post, post-match, post-ad break bit. There we go. I knew I was missing something in that sentence. Because <laughs> we then went straight into nine to so Shayna. That's Asuka done for now. Gone. Off the show. Uh, she has that quick win within two minutes, and then it's straight onto the, the Tag Team Champions, who get a full-on promo and presentation. There. And Asuka has no match for her a cell And because they did the big build to have Lana on the season premiere, cause she's got to build the season premiere, got to have a title match. Uh, but now she's got nothing at the pay-per-view. Yeah, uh, to be fair. Give me shorter pay-per-views. I'm not going to complain too much. It's just not much to be excited for. And to be fair, at Hell in a Cell, it's just a Hell in a Cell match,es really. But there's nothing really around them, and that means you know it's going to be full of filler. And that kind of sucks. Anyway, Nye and Shayna, they're not good friends, but they are good at dominating as a team. Uh, they lay down the challenge for anyone to refute that claim when out comes Mandy Rose and Dana Brooks. Like, oh yeah, they've been building these a little bit. Quickly followed, though, by a new team of Lacey Evans and Peyton Royce, who... Also play up that they don't get along. So we've got two teams now that don't get on. They're competing for the spotlight. I found it funny. <laughs> like I've always there's something about a Biddy Campaign voice's sense of humour that I find semi I find quite funny. And uh, yeah, same here. There's, there's something I found it I had fun with it, but uh, immediately I'm asking questions. Why have you spit up Peyton Royce and then put her in another team? <laughs> like, why? And if you also now you've got two teams doing the we don't get a long angle. Like, oh, damn it, D-Lo. <laughs> Just go, completely going against each other. Uh, and an impromptu match turns into a four-way as Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan of the Riot squad enter the fray, uh, immediately not abiding by their own draft rules and having to have commentary explain Oh, there's like a one week period to say goodbye. He's like, ah, uh, why are you want unspe- to uh, But it kind of felt a bit like, oh, why not? Why not have them? Yeah, come on down. This will be fun. Like, yeah, but why do the draft? Why you put any weight behind the draft if it doesn't matter? <laughs> I mean, again, biggest gripe with WWE is their world building, and and I've got I've got lots of other guys, but for me personally, this is the biggest. It's what pushed me away in 2019. If you want me to take any of your rules seriously, like f- match rules as well, then when you establish them, don't immediately break them. <laughs> so in terms of this, if if the structure of your universe is that these things exist in this way, and the reason this is important is because once they move from Mondays to Fridays, they won't see each other again. Like They are gone from for this day now. One week later, they're back on it, back on Mondays again. When he just told me the week previously, they're moving to Fridays. That's big. You won't see them on Mondays anymore. Immediately see them on Mondays again. <laughs> just, wh- why? <laughs> why? Why? Why should I care about any of your uh, big impending what well, kind of world moments when it doesn't? When the rules are immediately broken. Uh, I will say SmackDown did it, and the only because of course the New Day got their farewell, and the only I guess. Thing for it would be they did it on SmackDown and that's their new start of the week. I know it's confusing because you get pay views in between, but the week seems to go SmackDown first, then more. So technically it's the same WWE week. So do I let it slide? Oh, it made me have a whinge. <laughs> so I guess I let it slide. Uh, I, in- I generally enjoyed the match. Voice uh, uh, going straight into a new tag team brings up questions while they split her and Mini in the first place. But the division... Is all the better for this variety that's finally there. Like it feels like there's actually teams to work with here. Like I enjoyed her and Lacey's dynamic, showing some chemistry, but their egos are too grand and they're constantly trying to outshine each other. Uh, Mandy and Dana showing their ever-growing chemistry. The again the new tom- new team in terms of the flow of the match were more opportunistic. Jackson Baszler snapping into dominance, and then there's the Wyatt squad who are the most gelled team there. Uh, Riot scored the Riot kick on Evans but Beza was there to drag her away Jax gets tagged in and Samoan drops Lacey to hell One, two, three. the women's tag champs assert their dominance once again good for them <laughs> a, a division that seems to be building up relatively nicely and I'd call this segment one of three like in a row which injected a bit of fun into the show it, it, it does require the point of there's a lot less kind of other booking happening to hinging on it and like with Retribution, where there's the months of the meandering builds, <laughs> making it up week to week. And like, the, you're constantly hitting brick walls because of it. Then there's the, I guess, you give the two really strong wrestlers and you, entire, you focus the entire match on big man on the outside. I've just, I was entering the women's tag just feeling, like, just not up for raw at all. And then i really enjoyed the women's tag it was just a bit of harmless enjoyable fun without much in the way of stakes really and that really helped for me it, it was just a fun fast-paced match didn't have to be perfect like sometimes you could put out a, just a two-star tag match and i'll enjoy it and it, i don't need anything more from it like not everything has to be five stars i'm fine with that uh, and then after that we got elias so, so, this is very marmite. <laughs> There's a lie to thing. You. you either loved it or you absolutely hated it. And I love this. Again, I've heard other reviewers absolutely hate it, call it stupid, <laughs> a waste of time. I I enjoyed it because they're going all in on it, and that's all I ask with a character like this. Is if you're gonna if you're gonna run with it, bloody run with it, <laughs> go all in, and I... Immediately, he's got a full band and everything. Yes, like yes, I'm all for this. Like for me, the perfect evolution of this man's character is he's now got a band, even if it's just for this one week. <laughs> and uh, like, if only they were wrestlers too, then he's got a music band that's also a stable. But it's not like 3 B, it's like an actual band, and he's the definite leader. And uh, when he goes out to play, he's got the smoke machine as a, a graphic for his album in the bottom left, plugging it like multiple times throughout the songs. Got backup singers and everything, like. They went in on this, and I'm here for it. And like, I realised that, like, honestly, with how fatigued I was, I really needed this SNL Saturday Night Live music break <laughs> to just refresh me on the show. Like, And then afterwards, just ending it with, uh, thank you, good night, I love none of you. <laughs> and then for coming back out for an encore. And that leads into the angle. But yeah, it was exactly what I needed at exactly the right time in the show. Uh, again, me not watching live... As I just said, during AJ Styles Matt Riddle, I paused it and I took five minutes and as Elias was doing his stuff, I was moving between rooms. So I was fine that it wasn't pelting ahead, giving us immediate direction. It's like, no, I was fine to watch the Elias stuff and then get back in the groove. It just refreshed me. Uh, again, the perfect refresher in the middle of the show. Uh, again, if you're watching live and you didn't have any of the circumstances I was just talking about, <laughs> this is yeah, Because, again, there's no heel heat of anything. They're just plugging his album. (laughs) He's just genuinely just playing the songs that are on the album. And they're not any part of the angle. They're just songs. Like, genuine songs. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so... He totally naturally turned back for uh, Encore. uh, But the stagehand starts playing the guitar with his back to the camera. Who could it be? It's your boy. It's Jeff. (laughs) Hitting over the head with a guitar while shouting, I didn't hit you with that car, man. It's like, I'm receiving mixed messages here. <laughs> just, uh, the whole angle, Jeff Hardy in anger, hitting Elias with a guitar, smashing in with it, and it's like, I didn't hit you with the car, oh, but you're doing this violence. <laughs> what is the message here? <laughs> it's the last one. Uh, later, I mean, the message is, Elias is the bad guy. Ugh. And uh, later... Elias would celebrate, uh, we'd say that he will be celebrating both his album dropping and celebrating Jeff Hardy being dropped after he challenges the man at Hell in a Cell. I've worded that wrongly, but it's good enough. Uh, so, this was a big setup for Hell in a Cell. And if I'm right, it's this and Drew McIntyre Morton, and that's it for all. Have I completely forgotten something? I think that's it. There's nothing else. I'm gonna get filler. <laughs> We've got those two matches and that's it. We're going to be getting filler. Uh, anyway, uh, Miz and Morrison were then backstage recapping the latest happenings with them. Of course, it's been on SmackDown, so make sure the Raw audience knows. To be fair, I'm somebody who rarely checks into SmackDown. So, yeah, it kind of makes sense. It's nice to do this. Uh, I, I, immediately, I'm like, what is this feud? <laughs> Tucker walks in and has a moan at them. Uh, he says he's going to find a tag partner and they're going to beat them up. They're going to beat up Miz and Morrison. Uh, they just laugh it off. Uh, New day, injection of fun. This the, the, the for me the fight, the penultimate kind of massive thumbs up for this. Because after this was the Mustafa Ali, was just the cherry on the cake, just the perfect end to the hour. Again, it had a lot more lightheartedness, but not slapstick. It, it, it injected the what the show really needed. Just kind of lifted the seriousness off the lid a bit. I don't know. <laughs> don't know where i going that metaphor. But yeah, it's it's fun. Fun is what Raw's been needing in this middle hour just to carry it along, and New Day are the perfect addition for a three-hour show. Uh, a whole dose of fun in the middle. Yes, it was great. And uh, New Day have red belts now. Uh, yeah. Speaking of red, out comes Seamus. <laughs> and he interrupts, uh, rubs in how they've lost Big E, like a pleasant follow-on from that feud ending. Uh, I, I was fine with it. I enjoyed that. Uh, This was such a fun interaction, like, Sheamus all serious-faced as New Day danced that PG line (laughs) singing about spreading their seeds all over WWE. Apple seeds, they're spreading apple seeds. No, no, not those kind of seeds, they're spreading apple seeds. That's what they said. Kofi Kingston versus Shamu was next, and uh, as it it an immediate laugh, plugged by Tom Phillips as the first time these two lads have faced in nine years. On a Monday, oh, <laughs> not as impressive a stat. <laughs> they faced oh, yeah, of course, because New Day in the bar. They Kofi Kingston and the shamers have faced plenty of times over so the past few years. They faced a hell of a lot, but oh, not on a Monday. Ooh, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, immediately I laughed. as like, oh, that's you built that up as a like, oh, it's an impressive stat, but then it just drops on a Monday. <laughs> so yeah, it's not that impressive. Because of course they face each other on Fridays all the time, <laughs> so, yeah, not a new pairing at all. Anyway, anyway, Hubs, Hubs? That's not, Hubs. Woods, where'd I get Hubs from? Woods hyped his man from ringside as the angry Irishman tried to down Kofi's flying positivity. I loved Big E appearing as one of the Thunderdome viewers, uh, Woods using that to help hype up his man, a uh, great little touch showing they're still friends. Uh, after Shamu had attempted some grounding of Kingston, That lit a fire under the man with that and Big E, who would then hit a flurry of offence. Eventually, the Irishman caught the fella, slamming him down hard with all sorts of big moves like, always to no avail, like always to no avail. A great side slam, like a winding Alabama slam. He paid the price trying to literally elevate his offence. Kofi fighting back after the Irishman tried a white noise from Brett's rope. In the end, a fast sequence was too much for Sheamus as Kofi scored a near-fall SOS before knocking him down with the Trouble in Paradise for the win. Yeah, really enjoyed this moment. It was fun. I just... Because uh, WWE used that line of, all they like to have fun. as just the... Just these, these are baby-faced characters that are getting the crowd to cheer. Oh, we don't know what the characters are past that. <laughs> they just like to have fun. It's the stock phrase to explain them. But uh, this hour just injected a bunch of... Because when I say fun, I mean it's entertaining. They're livening up the show. But it's not high-stakes, super serious. You're not taking the show at like a peak level of uh, like a serious vibe. And that really helped for me. Just take it down a tad. Just relax a bit for that second hour before you build back up for the main event. A massive thing of pacing. For me, the only issue why it doesn't hit as strong is because the first hour wasn't good. And that means the second hour feels like it needs to be... Need to bring you back in. And I wouldn't say it attempted to bring you back in. It just relaxed a bit. And that got me back in. It won't do it for everybody. But this is kind of what I needed. And as I just said. The hour ended on the perfect point. Mustafa Ali. With the rest of Retribution behind him. A man so talented. He can almost single handedly save crap from booking. <laughs> so he says his power is creating chaos. Confirms he was the hacker. A fantastic character moment with him saying I was at home because this corrupt company couldn't figure out how to make a book off somebody called Mustafa Ali that line, in terms of the character motivation like like the best villains make you go, yeah, you're right and I love that as a motivation for Mustafa Ali and uh, he was always playing up as hopeful beforehand and now it's just like, no, you couldn't figure it out and this is the reason I'm giving us to why I really like that like it's a the only issue is he's a heel that's the only downside because <laughs> this speech is great it's just the whole thing and the character motivation is so understandable and so relatable but he's just going about it the wrong way is normally how you play off these things but because it's, it's the creating chaos is meant to be the wrong way but him that his reasoning is here is like yeah like, you can just so solidly get behind that uh, yeah. anyway after in our third hour the hurt business started off backstage where uh, O'Neill walked up to them offered to join their group and they he, like, i can use my images and my connections and everybody's like yeah we'll, we'll talk and he turns around to them to his friends and uh, after a few seconds he, he just stands there he doesn't say anything then turns back and Ty's like oh you decided oh that was quick <laughs> he just stood faced them didn't say anything to turn back around like yeah we've made a decision and uh, they're uh, like we're in business, and Titus like, uh, misunderstands that. So like, oh, we're in business. Yes, he goes straight to their hands. Like no, we're in business. Like we're in business, <laughs> and then they attack and uh, destroy and stomp down Titus O'Neil, and that was that. Just I guess it was like getting their heat back moment after make sure that we know the hurt business are the bad guys. Like just do not get it confused, even though they're facing retribution, who are definitely heels. The hurt business are also. Definitely heals. And I guess it doesn't give him WWE praise. They're doing heel versus heel. When do they do heel versus heel? Like, they've constantly. on. Um, I think it was the NXT review. I was even just ranting about how on the main roster they don't. Because I think it was uh, Johnny Gargano versus Austin Theory. A great heel versus heel match. As like WWE main roster, they've claimed in the past that they do. There's no heel or babyface. It's just characters but then you watch the show and it's purely a show of 100% of heel of bad guy and good guy matches and stories uh like so clear that that's as in they make sure you understand which guy is the good guy which one's the bad guy why they're the good guy why they're the bad guy bad guy does bad things good guy does good things. <laughs> it's very black and white very easy to follow and understand the hurt business versus retribution no, that's heel versus heel and you have to understand the characters to know why they're standing up for what they are <laughs> uh, I guess that's a bit of a golf kind clap applause that they're doing that it's it's more of a it's like it's like I applaud WWE for when Raw flows, I can't do that this week because for me I, I only enjoyed the second hour, what I, I have done in the past, like the first week Raw Underground wasn't there and I really sensed it in terms of the flow of the show <laughs> the bar for applause or commendment is much lower than like all the other wrestling I watch <laughs> It's just that? Uh, could, could I watch the show, did it flow did was I Did I ever take it out of it did you destroy the momentum of ca- any characters because this show it destroyed the momentum of multiple characters it didn't flow apart from the one hour I, I genuinely enjoyed and did it get me excited for Hell in a Cell no, it made me realise, oh crap, you've only got two matches <laughs> and one of them, the big one, is Drew McIntyre Orton which, story-like li- narrative-wise, hit it's ending beat already, so, yeah Anyway, I'm adjusting my hair a lot. it oh, makes me realise it's one of my tired habits, which means I should probably get to the end of the show. Uh, Miss and Morrison versus Tucker and his mystery partner. It's... El Gran Gordo. <laughs> so, yes, uh, the tone of this was immediately set with Miz and in the ring doing their hey, hey, ho, ho, if you've got a partner's time to let us know. Hey, hey, ho, <laughs> ho. Yeah, yeah, it's just awful. <laughs> awful, but yeah, I love it. Uh, there are plenty of arcs I'm happy to be covering now that they are on Monday Night Raw. This is not one of them. <laughs> like, introduce yourself uh, And it's El Gangodo. Uh, I'm not a massive fan of the arc that's happening. I was one of those people where soon as Otis won the briefcase, started to um a bit, I thought, well, they could spend the next few months building him. They've done the exact same, the exact opposite of that. Yeah, yes, they could have spent the time building Otis as like a credible threat and challenger to people with championships. But no, he's a pure comedy wrestler. And yeah, he got behind of Mandy Rose a bit. Was that WrestleMania though? How long ago was that? Ugh, time what is time <laughs> during this lockdown. Yeah. And also I got a laugh out of Tucker giving the mic to not Otis and was like, Introduce yourself and because he's a luchador lesson, he's like, see, so, see, Senor you're okay. <laughs> It's just the mannerisms is all blatantly there, Mister Morrison. Don't buy any of it. It's like, no, we know you're Otis. You're blatantly Otis, and Miss uh, goes into a massive rant, running down Otis for disgracing the money in the bank briefcase, and which like made his career. He holds that as such high regard, and Otis is destroying the prestige with it being a complete jokey character, and. Miz can't figure out why he's making it a joke, aside from the fact that you're the joke. Like, great heel work, uh, bigging up the briefcase as an important thing within the wrestling world and a career-changing entity, but running down his opponent for being purely silly. Like, for me, great stuff from Miz. Like, in a purely silly segment, <laughs> he had a very serious rant that I totally got behind. Uh, the match itself, for me, I find it com- kind of skippable because it was the third hour and I think I said this on the NXT show when James Boyd was on, of One Nation Radio, that in terms of pacing of a show, for me, do not put your comedy in the for like third hour type of thing, because I'm fatigued at that point. I'm all for it in the first, like, two, but put it in the third and I'm likely to zone out and want to skip it, because it feels like filler. Or this is the thing before the actual segment which you've been building to or show. So that's kind of what this was for me. It's a bit skippable. There were moments to laugh at, yeah. El Gran Gordo with his wafting cape, gliding with offense, uh, with him doing a cartwheel and like a, a big slow arm drag, and then they go Luchador. <laughs> I love that beat. And uh, yeah, but then to tell how much we should be caring, our truth ran out and got chased ringside up the ramp, working distraction. And then Ms. whilst that distraction, gets caught by uh, El Grande... El Gran Gordo! And Erotis uh, grabs the win. <laughs> not even uh, keeping the facade up for that. Also, funny little detail, which I was happy with, with Gren Matalik and Lince Dorado as they were chasing our truth they paused, looked inside to see El Gran Gordo, and they marked out, I was like, Oh crap, it's El Gran Gordo, this Luchador legend! <laughs> Just, um, yeah, I found that quite funny. So, yeah. It's, it's one of those which is funny, but also doesn't make sense when the story you're also telling us, because on the commentary, Tom Phillips is just saying that, no, we know it's blatantly Otis. Like, this is a silly disguise. This is stupid. But Glenn Matalika and Lisa DeVado are like, oh my god, it's El Granado. Oh no. <laughs> so, it's just... Uh, it's a comedic beat, which got me mad. It's a, com- it's a moment. There we go. It's a moment, but it doesn't actually make any sense, because <laughs> you've already informed us, the audience, that he's... N- that everyone knows it's not Otis, so... Is Gran Gordo actually a legend? And it's, it's, it's one of those it got a laugh out of me at the moment, but does not actually make any sense? <laughs> so yeah, I'll drop it, it's a silly, it's a silly segment and it had silly bits in it. Uh, yeah, anyway, speaking of segments, uh, New Day and Heavy Machinery after the break were backstage. Mandy Rose uh, brings El Gran Gordo a big ham to eat as Xavier Woods plays a trombone and they all dance. That's literally what happened. <laughs> like, I don't know what other notes to make. <laughs> that was beat for beat. What happened? <laughs> we move on. <laughs> Firefly Funhouse, the first Firefly Funhouse on Raw, I guess since last week with Kevin Owens. But <laughs> suddenly realise it's the first like proper one since Bray's come over. And uh, Bray's looking through his toy box, taking all things out. He brings out, oh, there's a thing with a red X on it, which is from his feud with Randy Orton, so maybe that's a little hint of what's coming up after Bakita Orton presumably ends at hell in the cell. And but and Bray's promo is all about new beginnings and making new friends. Over uh, well, on his new show of Raw. Like he tells Rambling Rabbit like he'll be a better friend. And like the past is in our heads whilst the future is in our hands. Right before the buzzard eats the poor rabbit and <laughs> Bray just laughs at him. <laughs> like, yeah, I and like the series, like the ch- children's show, Serious Message. And followed by just the Ray Wyatt violent humour. <laughs> like uh, Followed by a knock on the door and it's Alexa Bliss in her Freddy Krueger gear. Uh, she says the fun is getting, she's just getting started as everybody cheers. Like, hey! Uh, she seemingly doesn't have any alter ego inside the Firefly Front house. She's just Alexa Bliss. But to be fair, it's been established in the past with like Seth Rollins charging in and attacking and various people. Uh, Adam Pierce was Adam Pierce, but he had to pretend to be a postman. Like yeah, they, they're not not these people when they're inside the Firefly Funhouse. So yeah. Braun Strowman versus Keith Lee. Ooh, right then. First impressions, big boys, meat slapping meat. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> the Big E special. Put it on a grill. Um WWE didn't do that. No, no, no. Uh, so I, I felt like, yeah, big lads. And they had their match last week, which felt like, oh, this is a teaser. Then on the season premiere, you go big. Ah, the opposite. <laughs> Turns out what happened the week before was the big feud starter. And this week, they went small. Uh, No pun intended because of how the <laughs> match ended up, offence-wise. Uh, Braun, like, holding his side the entire match as well. I showing the brawl they had the week before. But a low blow via his head... <laughs> and a big boot scored the three and Braun Strowman they're playing it off as he steals the win and Keith Lee like, after the match in anger just straight up kicks him right in the dick and shouts at him that Strowman, like you say Strowman you claim to be a monster and Lee just tells him that he's just showed himself up as nothing of the sort and like you mess with the wrong dragon like the monster defeats the dragon or something like that And it's it's a sentence I've written so many times because I've been covering Shingo Takagi, who's one of the nicknames is The Dragon. So I've had to cover The the Dragon versus The Stone Pitbull (laughs) and things. So word order I've become used to. But it's a very weird match, (laughs) especially because when it's paired with the week before, where they have their big brawl, but you don't really see a match, you see a big brawl instead. And then they hype up that they go to have a match. They get in the ring, and I'm assuming the idea is... This gives Ford Strowman massive amounts of heat, and kind of paints him as—is he really a monster when Keith Lee is the real competitive beast here? It's just got so much honor; it's a different kind of monster. And yeah, but it kind of came off a bit like Keith Lee lost pretty you know, easily, like a low blow and a boot, and that was it. He beat Keith Lee, and Keith Lee's just really pissed that Strowman would sink to that level to do that. I liked the anger afterwards. But I don't know if it immediately does damage, because it did pin him. You can see, ultimately it did pin him. <laughs> so in terms of, how is Keith Lee in the hierarchy? Oh, a weird match on a weird and this third hour was losing me. And the main event completely lost me. Uh, the Vipers message from Hell in a Cell. Uh, inside the Hell in a Cell structure, Randy Orton delivered a wee story time to close out the show. Like, he, put a, he put down a chair in the middle of the ring and really took his time doing it, then really took his time with his story. Uh, I think there were like eight minutes left in the show when he started, and he went. He only went for six of them. But it felt long. Six, well, to be fair, six straight minutes of Andy Orton talking at the end of a three hour show that has meandered as it is. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is, I'm not paying attention to this. <laughs> uh, as in, I don't mean in terms of, of me just going, nope, and turning it off, I mean, I'm trying but he's, I'm just struggling. <laughs> uh, I did catch, like, this will be his eighth time in the cell, far out experiencing his opponent this Sunday. And then he goes through his opponents one by one, got to kill that time. Uh, talks about his career until eventually, the weird ending of the show, just to fit it, just icing on the cake. Eventually, Drew McIntyre marched out to his drums and stared down the Viper, all, all confident in the cell, until Drew pulled some pliers out from behind the barricade it <laughs> just went over, and right, there they were, right there. Like, you didn't even check, Randy! <laughs> damn it, you're such a... Ah, oh, damn it, Randy. Uh, but the show goes off air the moment Drew closes the cell door. It gets the plies, he gets in, It's this whole building thing. Randy Orton runs across the ring, grabs a chair. Like, right, we're building to something, we're building to a confrontation. After six minutes of boring talking, <laughs> we're finally... We kind of what the segment's building up to. This is this final clash before the pay-per-view. But... The show goes off the air the moment Drew gets in, closes the door and lays his warning to Orton that I'm going to beat you up or something worse than that. Uh, and that's it. It faded it to black with him in the cell. Right. Okay. Like, ooh, what an odd ending. <laughs> a slowly delivered Orton monologue, teasing a hyped ending with Drew McIntyre coming out, but it never comes and just ends when it's seemingly getting interesting. And if you go and watch Vortalk... The cell's empty. There's nobody in there. As in, like, immediately when the show is ended, like they play their logos or whatever to for Raw Talk, which is live after the Raw, on the network and there's nobody in there. There was no brawl that happened. <laughs> it's like, ugh, what a weird ending to the show. And, and, and I know, most people won't watch Raw Talk. And I only know because somebody clipped it on Twitter that like, I didn't watch it. <laughs> I saw a clip on Twitter. I didn't go to WWE Network to watch Raw Talk. But, yeah, like, after all, I make a Photoshop image. Like, I'm not, I don't have time for <laughs> something else. I need my break afterwards. Uh, anyway, it was a very weird ending to a very meandering show. Did nothing to hype me up for Hell in a Cell, uh, other than the prestige Hell in a Cell already has. But it didn't add anything to it for me. I didn't get anything to make me want to watch this show. A, in terms of a go-home show, it was really bad. But it is multiple things clashing. And really, in a perfect world, there is no head in the cell. I'm not a massive fan of the gimmick pay-per-views anyway. Uh, You're forcing these match things into the calendar, which means every year your stories have to hit a certain beat at a certain point, otherwise it doesn't fit. And sometimes you get the years where it doesn't fit, but this year, Orton McIntyre, if they're going to have another match, it's going to have to be inside the cell. Sasha Banks-Bailey... They're zooming ahead with that one. Head and cell would normally be the ending point, but it's the starting point, so expection elegance. <laughs> yeah. Didn't do much to hype me up for the head and cell. The the second hour was really good. But the I said knock my headphones off. But the ending was so strange and took me so out of what was <laughs> It's just you just as it gets interesting, the bit that you have been building to with this segment, end of show. Like, oh, that's so what happened next. Go check water. Oh, nothing. It's like that didn't even happen. <laughs> okay then, right. Anyway, that was raw. It meandered all over the place, and I tried to give my best kind of example of like, indeed, just going through why it felt like such a meandering show. It took me an hour to get through it, but I feel I just laid it all out. It was such a weird show with such a weird ending. <laughs> uh, first hour and third hour. Were constantly meandering because meandering, I guess, is like a peaks and troughs. It had a peak, and for me, that's the second hour. Thoroughly enjoyed, like pretty much the entire thing. Every segment either built to something or was entertaining fun. But the first hour and the third hour did nothing for me, and I was bored. Well, with Orton, I was just bored watching it. So yeah. Anyway. That's the end of the show and I'm so tired my eyes are really blurry, and I'm really focused to click and stream and <laughs> do all that. Uh, I will be back on Thursday and I've been joining uh, Ash from the Wrestling Shorts YouTube channel with the cool uh, hand-drawn cartoons uh, short animated shorts <laughs> for WWE stuff. I've been joining him on his Twitch channel on Thursdays. I joined him on Saturdays as well, so I don't know if I'll be live on Twitch on Thursday with him before or if I'll be on my own thing or whatever. Um, He's trying to get me to also do my own Twitch. (laughs) So anyway, I might be setting stuff up. But I will be back, definitely here for the NXT review on Thursday. And also live with Aftershock on Sunday. And Do check out the Wrestling Headlines video shows as well. In terms of Kingdom of Honor, which will also be on this YouTube channel. Uh, They're covering the G1 Climax in audio form. I've done it in written form. The column went up today. The final column with myself and Sir Sam. uh, The weekly review of G1 Climax 30. The final column went up today and highly recommend reading it. And I've really, really fun doing those columns. I really enjoy it. And it's, it's 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 a mixture of being absolutely knackered by the time you've done it all and really happy you did it as well. Anyway, my eyes start to water. <laughs> I need to go to bed. So thank you for listening. Thank you for whatever in terms of like subscribing, thumbs uping, five star rating if you're on audio form, sharing with your friends, or whatever you do with this show. Or oh, I've heard some people say Subjected to n- nearby people To this <laughs> So thank you in all Regards and with that I bid with you Adios What a weird show that was Adios Ten. <laughs>